0: podcast with me, Emily Einelander.
1: And me, Corinne Colasti.
0: And guest host, Chris Curran.
2: Hi, everybody.
0: (laughs) We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing, and today we are exploring the concept of a universal library, focusing mostly on the ancient library of Alexandria and its legendary
1: and mysterious demise. Our sources today include the Library of Alexandria, Center of Learning in the Ancient World, a collection of academic essays edited by Roy McLeod, episode of the BBC radio show In Our Time from March 2009, The Vanished Library by Luciano Canfora, an episode of In Search of History about the Library of Alexandria, and a few other articles that we'll link on the website.
0: The Library of Alexandria was one of the largest and most historically significant libraries in the ancient world. Located in, where else, Alexandria, on the northern coast of Egypt, it was attached to a larger research institution called the Musean, which was dedicated to the Muses. We're pretty sure it was established during the reign of Ptolemy I, and its destruction is the basis of enduring legend.
2: However, there's a lot we don't know about the library of Alexandria, including exactly where it was, what it looked like, when it was actually destroyed, and how it was actually destroyed. People have searched like crazy to try to answer those first two points, and there are lots of conflicting accounts about those second two.
0: I totally didn't know that until I started researching this. Like, I was just like, okay, I'm going to look up the story of how the Alexandria library burned down. And then it was like, well, we don't really know. Huh. And you hear people talk about it with so much certainty mm-hmm. and as if it's this discrete event that happened in time. And then as soon as you start looking into it, no. <laughs> no.
2: And, and yeah, that's why I'm, I've always been just kind of ambivalent toward the, toward the whole topic because it's, it. It sounds like it's more, our our modern understanding of it is is more the product of, you know, romantics uh, than it is, like, actual scholarship. Somebody out there, correct me if
0: I'm wrong. One of those giant historical games of telephone, like you and I have discussed in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what do we actually know about the Library of Alexandria? Well... The city of Alexandria was founded by Alexander the Great around 332 BCE. When he died, one of his top generals, Ptolemy I, took control of Egypt. Along with the assistance of an exiled Athenian governor named Demetrius of Thalerum, Ptolemy embarked on creating the greatest library in the world. His goal was to gather all the world's written knowledge, translate the texts into Greek, and keep it in this one central place.
2: It isn't known exactly what the library looked like, but we know there was the museum, which was more the research center, and then there was also the Biblion. We know that there was a lecture hall, a dining hall, and a covered walkway. Some scholars have speculated that the books were placed throughout that complex.
0: I just picture Bart's books in OHI. Didn't you and I go there together, Chris, at some point?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we yeah.
1: did. Corrine, yeah. have you ever have you ever been there? I have not. No, I've never been to Ohio. I'd love to go. I've heard it's, great it's things. It's one of those
0: Instagram bookstores. It's ah, like as soon okay. as Bookstagram started, yep. then Bart's Books was all over it because it's mm-hmm. all outdoors. Oh. Um and you know there's just ledges over everything protecting the books from the occasional rain. Well, I guess there's a lot of rain <laughs> at right the now. moment. Yeah. But um everything's just out there and you can wander around and enjoy the sunlight and enjoy the books and there's cats of course oh yeah because you know you have bookstore cats but if it's an outdoor bookstore you have
1: many more cat reasons to have cats true true (laughs) that's incredible
0: yeah more cat reasons to have more cat reason
1: it's fine please continue Chris
2: Well, a, a priest or a director, they were called an uh, that presided over the whole institution. Um, over the course of its prominence, visiting scholars included Archimedes and Euclid. Uh, according to one of the, one of the essayists in the Library of Alexandria essay collection, it was part think tank, part graduate school, part observatory, and part laboratory.
0: The library became a center for Babylonian, Egyptian, Jewish, and Greek thought with the goal of collecting every, like I cannot stress enough, <laughs> every book in the world and translating it into Greek. And I know that I said that before, but just the the vast scale of the ambition here and the emphasis on making it all Greek and making sure they had every piece of the world's knowledge, and their language was very important to them. The catalog of documents um, alone, so the card catalog, you could say, was 120 books long. In terms of actually getting all the world's books into this library, one of the oldest historical texts states,
1: Demetrius of Valerium. The president of the king's library received vast sums of money for the purpose of collecting together, as far as he possibly could, all the books in the world. By means of purchase and transcription, he carried out, to the best of his ability, the purpose of the king. He was asked, how many thousands of books are there in the library? And he replied, more than 200,000, O king, and I shall make an endeavor in the immediate future to gather together the remainder also, so that the total of 500000 may be reached.
2: The way that those purchases and transcriptions were carried out was aggressive, to say the least. The main manner in which they acquired books was through trade, reaching the farthest corners of the world that the Greek traders could travel. However, officials also weren't above stealing books. One major method was having the ship inspectors take whatever books they found when ships entered the harbor. They would promise to return copies of the books, that, but they would keep the originals. In the books, there would usually be a receipt that said, from the ships.
0: Can you fucking imagine being <laughs> a person who has to ride all over the place in a boat, and then someone comes and takes your book? That's are like, what do I do now? <laughs> and also, what's like the
2: turnaround on this
1: yeah it's like uh, i gotta
2: go (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean these are these are business people right these these Mm -hmm. traders they're business people they're trying to keep to a to a you know a timetable yeah and and then like okay so all of these things are handwritten and hand copied so Mm -hmm. what is the so let's take for you know let's take them at their word uh the library at its word and say that you know the uh the copyists are trying to churn, the, churn out this copy as quickly as they can. So can you imagine how legible?
0: Especially if it needed to be translated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's it's one of those things where it's like, you can get a rebate if you want.
1: Like, who actually gets <laughs> the rebate? <Yeah. laughs> That's true. That's a lot I mean, of I have
0: gotten the rebate for things a couple of times. But a lot of the time, you're like, sure. I'll send in this box top for $25. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> let's let's uh let's touch on this universal library thing, which we already kind of have. Mm-hmm. Um so like we said, the universal library is the central place where all knowledge is held, not just a little knowledge, all knowledge. Um, not necessarily, I think that the greater definition doesn't mean it all has to be in a single language aka greek here but chris do you think the library of alexandria was really a universal library I, I
2: i wouldn't i wouldn't say so i mean it's its mission is admirable the way i understand a universal library is that all is 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 entirely utopian uh right a utopia by definition cannot exist um and what i imagine is something that that contains all of human knowledge it's easily accessible it's expeditiously accessible um to all people regardless of um station regardless of ability regardless of language regardless of um academic standing um regardless of any and all label that one can ascribe to, to an individual or to a community. So <laughs> in answer to your question, uh no, I don't see it as such. Um I see it as I see I see this Library of Alexandria is um I see it more as like a university and even like a private university, where um there are accounts of of the library that that scholars were invited um, to the institution, right? And so, what I what I see is you know lecturers being invited or um, you know grad students being courted by some of the Ivy Leagues to come and pursue their PhDs or whatever. That's more of what I see. So, do I do I see it as uh, an institution that was open to all, regardless of station? No. Uh, Greek society and Hellenic society, uh, this is a Hellenic institution, was highly stratified. Um, Women were not considered citizens, right? The only citizens were were land-owning men. Greek society and Mediterranean societies uh, at the time, almost all of them, but especially the Greeks and Hellenics, were slave owners. Were the slaves invited? No. Were women invited? No. Just saying. (laughs)
0: certainly not during the period of time that we know it existed the thing you were saying about it being a utopian idea I think is a is a good framework to understand the way that people looked back at it the um, romanticism and the references that people make to it is like I can't think of who it was it was possibly David Bowie or one of those very like famous dead stars um when asked if there was a thing that they could go back to in history they're like I would go back to the library of Alexandria and read all the books and I'm like you wouldn't be able to read the books idiot (laughs) Um, (laughs) but but I get like I get the romantic idea of it however the more that I looked at it the more I was like hmm this is a program of cultural imperialism. Like, literally, people were saying that about them. Um, I, the BBC podcast that I listened to um, in our time, one of the scholars compared Alexandria to British people living in India during colonialism, and that there was an impulse to create a center for Greek culture there because they weren't um, in Greece and they wanted to make Alexandria more Greek. And so one of the things that they did was they created essentially a state library Mm. um, to kind of centralize all of that information, which I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to shit on it, um, of course, because I think that's that, um, you know, I like I like centers of uh, intellectual activity in general. I think they're important. I don't like the fact that libraries are attacked, but just the fact that this wasn't really a public place. This was a place that sort of asserted its dominance. And, and, and I didn't put this in the script because there was just too much stuff. There was so much sniping and, um, infighting between different libraries and different cities mm-hmm. that it was sort of at a level of you know not nationalism but what would you call it Chris when it's the you know Athens versus Alexandria versus other cities um... oh I
2: would I I would con- totally consider it nationalism
0: okay <laughs> it's like college football <laughs> yeah. for libraries I see. You're not supposed to be nodding sagely at that. (laughs) Dumbest shit I've ever said. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of awkward to hear those historians on the BBC like pining for colonial India, though. It was Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Put it back in your pants, guys. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's gross. (laughs) Anyway. So let's talk about theories around its
0: destruction. I think the lighthouse of Alexandria did it.
2: Best, best theory I've heard so far. Out of spite. Next segment.
0: It just it just shot fire at it from its um its peak and it said, "I am the only wonder in this city. This town ain't big enough for the both of us, you bastard." <laughs> just kidding. But as we were kind of discussing right now, that it. The romanticism that we have today about the library wasn't necessarily the same during its time. Um, I found this amazing quote by Seneca, for example, that I would like you to read, Corinne. Oh, made Maybe laugh my ass off and create a (laughs) meme that I will post.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is the point of countless books and libraries whose titles the owner can barely read through in his lifetime? The sheer number of them burdens and does not instruct the one who wants to learn. And it is much better to entrust yourself to a few authors than to wander through many. 40,000 books were burnt at Alexandria. Let someone else praise this finest monument of royal wealth, who says that it was the outstanding achievement of the good taste and care of kings.
0: I mean, is, is it just me or is that the funniest thing? Like- <laughs> Yeah, I was like, some stoic Instagram account needs to post that.
1: Yeah, they should. should. It's like, here's
0: your daily stoicism quote. (laughs) Your daily. Why are there so many fucking books? (laughs) Seneca. (laughs) That's gonna be my quote card that I put on Instagram for this episode.
1: I love it. Mm -hmm. Perfect.
0: So now that we have established that there wasn't a universal feeling of goodwill toward the universal library, um, there are actually three major theories about how the library was destroyed and who was responsible. There's more than three, but there are three dramatic ones. um, If we're looking at it as a possibly discrete event in history. The first involves Julius Caesar. Chris, could you do a little breakdown of uh, the Julius Caesar theory? Julius Caesar figures into into everything.
2: In 48 BCE, Caesar was pursuing his former ally, Pompey, with whom he was currently at war. The Ptolemies had been supporting Pompey in his war with Caesar, but they did a pretty solid 180 and assassinated him soon after he arrived. By the time Caesar arrived, when he got there, he was presented with Pompey's severed head. So, So basically that was that.
0: I also, I wanted to note that um, he said in his own history that he cried a lot when he got Pompey severed head. And I just, I'm like, like maybe I, he tried to make it sound like it was this very noble act that he was crying for like a, a an important figure and a person from his past. But I'm like, I, I would be crying out of terror, <laughs> <laughs> either terror or jealousy that someone else like, what was he going to do? Not kill him?
2: Like, yeah, <laughs> our boy Julius, or uh, no, Gaius. Gaius was his name. Was like his actual name. Oh right, right. right. Um, Gaius. he, uh, uh, he was his greatest. He was his own best propagandist.
0: He was his greatest fan.
2: Moving along, <laughs> so 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 <laughs> Caesar then managed to get himself embroiled in a succession dispute between Cleopatra and her brother Ptolemy the Thirteenth. Legend says that Cleopatra wrapped herself in a rug. What, that was then delivered to Caesar, so they could then have some uh, negotiations. <laughs> I, I mean, they really, they really were negotiations. But you know, Cleopatra
0: also sex. um "Why not sex? both?
1: Why yeah. not both? That's <laughs> why right.
0: not." You know, if you can have a party with your business,
1: yeah, beating, why it.
0: not have some sex too? Yep, yep. Yeah. Theoretically, beautifully said. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I am an orator. (laughs) You are indeed. Yes.
2: Uh, So, to Ptolemy's chagrin, Caesar stuck around and took Cleopatra's side, which was a pretty big escalation in the war between the two siblings. Caesar was soon attacked on both land and sea by the Ptolemaic forces. To get out of their tight spot, Caesar's men set fire to 60 ships of the Ptolemy's fleet that were at anchor at the port of Alexandria. Then the fire spread to the actual city and the library, perhaps. One description from the historian Lucan said,
1: The fire soon blazed up. It spread to the rigging and to the decks, which used resin. The fire spread beyond the ships. The house nearest to the waterside caught too. The wind hastened the calamity. The flames were driven by the gusts and ran like meteors along the rooftops. The disaster drew most of the besieging force away from the palace to defend the city. Some good writing, Luke. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ran
0: like meteors along the rooftops. <laughs> Both historians, Dion Cassius and Arosius, reported that the fire damaged some 40,000 scrolls of excellent quality. However, Caesar's own account does not mention destroying any nearby grain or books warehouses because that would probably make him look bad, right? Yeah. Optics. Um, (laughs) But he focuses on the fact that the ships got destroyed. Canfora, author of the Vanished Library, speculates that Orosius in particular um, likely would have specified whether those scrolls would have come from the Great Library. But Plutarch, who lived about a hundred years after the event took place, was the historian who outright said the fire, quote, spread from the dockyards and destroyed the Great Library, unquote. The Historio Strabo lamented in somewhere between 20 to 25 CE about the unfortunate loss of the library, capital L, though he didn't make a clear statement that Caesar was the one to burn it down. However, that would imply that the destruction happened during this time frame. So, it's not the, you know, it's not the most unrealistic whatever. So, but now the belief that Caesar was responsible for the total destruction of the Library of Alexandria is one of the more popular ones, at least for those of us who like drama. <laughs> because of that many searches for the ruins of the library have been conducted as close to the Mediterranean Sea as possible, but no dice so far.
2: Caesar has been so maligned over the, I'm not. I'm not defending Caesar.
0: I mean, you can. <laughs> I really don't care one way or the other. I'm not defending. I, I come to bury Caesar, not defend him.
2: <laughs> hey. Oh, that was that was good. That was a oh, well done. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, he he has been so maligned for so for so many different things, and and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I could I could totally see him doing it. I could totally see it being uh, anti-Caesar propaganda.
0: I um, also feel that if that is the most popular theory, the symbology of the library burning down doesn't quite have the same profundity that people who look at it romantically give it. You know, because it sounds incidental when we talk about Caesar being the one to burn it down, because it's like, ah, he was in the middle of a battle and he set fire to a bunch of ships and in the, you know, in the kerfuffle, it burned to the ground. Not like, I am going to set this center of intelligence and uh, the world's research center and the universal library. I'm going to set it on fire to stick it to the Greeks um, and the world and smart people everywhere. (laughs) Like that's that's if this is the true story, then it doesn't have that weight that people seem to give it. <laughs> there are other there are other theories that kind of are more in the vein of what I was just talking about, and you're about to introduce one of them.
2: Short answer Christians. Um <laughs> Yeah. So in 391, uh that's three ninety one of the Common Era, Theodosius the First ordered the destruction of all pagan temples as Christianity was then uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire.
0: Oh yeah, the Romans are in charge now, did we mention?
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, the Romans, guys. Guys, uh, as we started talking about Caesar, did we, you know, we should should bring up the Romans.
0: (laughs) Slot A into slot B. (laughs)
2: Um. One of the stories is that the library was destroyed during that purge. Specifically, there were orders to wipe out the Temple of Serapis at Alexandria, which had at one point contained the Serapium, the quote-unquote daughter library, the library of Alexandria, or the branch, to use modern parlance.
0: Maybe, yeah, (laughs) like to use modern parlance, branch, or the... (laughs) I don't know if it's the same thing, though. Annex. Annex. It's an annex.
2: Let's go with an annex. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, but so there's there's no evidence that the Great Library still existed at this point. If it did, it was also pagan in that it was dedicated to the Muses. So it's an extrapolation that it would be destroyed in this purge of paganism. Theodosius also established the Nicene Creed around that time.
0: I just Um, wanted to harass you, Catholic former catholic friends yeah <laughs> with the nicene creed oh i remember
1: how does that one start it's like uh go chris oh god i'm i
2: believe in one it. god the father yes. the almighty maker of heaven because and earth of all that is god seen and unseen,
1: unseen. yeah uh etc 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 and oh. the life of the world to come yes amen that's right now i remember thank you chris i
2: believe <laughs> in only I believe he had one son, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one and being with the Father,
0: all through him, him all now, things, are, things made. are made.
1: For us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven uh and <laughs> something. I don't remember the right. And the was, Holy
0: Spirit.
2: <laughs> yeah, was born of the Virgin Mary, died, and uh then he I don't know, he danced or something. Whatever. He danced
0: around um, and went to heaven. That's right. Yeah.
2: I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: That Um, was better than I ever could have dreamed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So pleased.
0: It's right. It's
2: it's it's that whole call and response thing. It's once when once when you get started, you can just kind of check out, and your mouth will just do all the work. You don't have to think about it. (laughs)
0: Like we could probably just like sing all of the Madrigal songs we knew in high school right now. (laughs) Spring returns. (laughs) <laughs> I mean that was my part.
1: <laughs>
0: um okay. Then uh, then there's the Muslim invasion theory. Um this is another uh, if you're noticing a pattern of politicized narratives here, congratulations, you're paying attention. Um so this is the latest on the historical timeline story of the destruction of the library has to do with the Arab conquest of the 7th century. The story was that Caliph Omar gave the order to destroy the remaining books in the library, although they acknowledged that some had already been destroyed previously. This excerpt comes mostly from the dialogue of John Philoponus,
1: but the caliph, unmoved by this vast collection of learning, apparently stated, quote, they will either contradict the Quran, in which case they are heresy, or they will agree with it, so they are superfluous, end quote. The manuscripts were then gathered together and used as fuel for the 4,000 bathhouses in the city. In fact, there were so many scrolls that they kept the bathhouses of Alexandria heated for six months. That's a lot. Holy moly. It's also
0: Funny, right? right? It's like <laughs> ah, yeah. oh, they probably disagree with the Quran, but also if they agree with the Quran, I'm like, we don't need it. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. like it's so much of an afterthought. It's like, mm, but you know, I really want to take a bath, like more than reading that. <laughs> like that, this is a center of knowledge. Can any of you fuckers read yeah. Greek? I can't. Mm-hmm. All I know is there's a lot of sand under my nails. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as I could see, modern scholars agree that the Library of Alexandria was either non-existent or hanging on by a thread at that point. It was no longer the research and cultural center it used to be and had sort of fallen into obscurity. Edward Gibbon, author of Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, was one of the main debunkers of the story, but he also placed the responsibility solely on the uh, shoulders of Christians, which is also an oversimplification and possibly not true at all. So we have these three very distinct theories, but there's also, you know, the the boring theories the more nuanced theories um chris as a historian and a librarian would you talk to us about some of the environmental factors that may have affected the survival of books at the library of alexandria
2: um so i am partly an expert in uh papyrus uh preservation um so i i had to do a little bit of digging on this um but so most of these scrolls would have been written on papyrus. That was the, you know, the vellum thing wasn't, you know, wasn't common practice um, in the Mediterranean at the time. So so papyrus is a uh, is is a is a reed. The reeds are stripped and in order to make in order to make this uh, in order to make this writing instrument. They're they're cut and then they're woven together. And glued frequently these these different pieces are glued together using um, using resin made from their own uh it's not sap. I don't think they have sap, but you know what I'm talking about, the 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 goop made by the plant itself. One of the major causes um of degradation for for papyrus is is actually going to be external, it's not going to be any necessarily environmental uh papyrus sure is going to degrade over time just like anything um it's going to um become brittle and and uh you know as it dries out but the one of the major concerns that most people will, uh that that specialists who deal in this brought up over and over again is that the major cause of degradation of papyrus is going to be organic fungi bacteria insects the university of pisa was you know very adamant on that So uh, could it have been, you know, could be, could these documents have been um, uh, destroyed over the, over the course of these eons by, you know, other, other uh, organisms? Sure. So it's, it's also important to consider that, you know, much of what was written on these documents may have, may have lost their, may have lost their uh, relevancy, right? We were talking about, you know, and on all of these other, uh, theories that we brought up are are very true we have uh, the dissolution of the of the wider roman world right but you know the roman the roman collapse was a was something was a process that 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 had gone on for 200 years and so in that turmoil you can only imagine um you know what that would have led to as funding um for such you know institutions would would mean you also, we also brought up the the topic of the Umayyad uh, dynasty, the um or the caliphate, Sorry, um, you know, going through North Africa, and I'm I'm pretty partial to to that idea. It is, however, worth mentioning that um, I think um, you have the uh, uh, the Middle Eastern world at the time. Um, being referred to as like the houses of wisdom and everything that these are that these are the um, that this is the part of the world that was preserving a lot of um, um, ancient knowledge Mm -hmm. Um, and and there was a lot of let's call it state interest in doing so Um, uh, and so I on one side I can kind of see where um you know the where the the muslim invasion let's call it um
0: i just like it because it sounds like the Beatles. (laughs) Ooh,
2: hadn't thought of that but um (laughs) yeah i i I can see where i can see where that comes in and i can and i can see one side of that sure but then i can also think like no there was a heavy emphasis on the preservation of the greek
0: of greek knowledge at the time of greek Um, specifically knowledge how about mediterranean knowledge okay
1: Okay. How
2: about Mediterranean knowledge? That that's fair.
0: Yeah.
1: Um.
2: But I do have, I have a book, the Archimedes Codex, um, medieval prayer books, uh, and palimpsests used, um, and preserved, um, you know, in the in the, uh, uh Arabic-speaking world, um, oh. that were uh, that were instrumental in preserving knowledge, uh, and Greek knowledge such as. This archimedes text that was lost to western history wow for for centuries and wasn't rediscovered um you know well into the early 2000s late 1990s anyway Man, okay uh, so so i can kind of see where i think the muslim theory has some some benefits but some cons to it as well um the established narrative is is uh either caesar or christian i don't know I'm hardly an expert in this field.
0: Well, and nobody can agree on it either. Yeah. So maybe the library's destruction was death by a thousand cuts, or maybe like four burns. (laughs) (laughs) Well, three burns and then six months worth of burning. But this isn't to say that libraries aren't burned down cataclysmically all at once. Uh, in fact, the there is an entire list of destroyed libraries. It's a page on Wikipedia with columns that say year, method of destruction, reason for destruction. Um, for example, we mentioned the Serapium, which was the uh, the annex or the daughter library. That was definitely a politically motivated destruction. That was definitely a politically motivated destruction of both the temple and a library. If we're assuming that it's structured in a similar way to the Great Library, which you know the books and the muse museum were kind of meshed together, is what it sounded like to me. The point is. The symbology exists for a reason of a of a destroyed library Um, just because the library of Alexandria itself may have fallen apart bit by bit and not necessarily have been completely destroyed in one go that we know everything about doesn't mean that people don't use destruction of libraries as an act of violence against certain ideals or states or institutions So um, let's move on to the rhetorical and political sides of all of this.
2: So the Christian destruction of the library is a theory that was popularized by
0: Edward Gibbon countering the
2: theory that the Muslims had burned down the library. Uh, Again, the Serapium was definitely burned at this point, which would be where all of this blurring comes from. The Christian theory has been uh, very pointedly used as a symbol of suppression of science and knowledge by religious zealots. Sound familiar? This whole knowledge versus control principle often pops up coincidentally with the discussion of library destruction. Here's an excerpt from The Banished Library that sort of encapsulates this idea.
1: The history of the libraries of antiquity often ends in flames. Fire, along with earthquakes, is said by Galen to be one of the commonest causes of the destruction of books. Fires do not spring up without cause. It is as if a greater force were intervening to destroy an organism that could no longer be controlled or checked. Impossible to check the infinite capacity for growth that libraries displayed. Impossible to control their contents given the equivocal, often forged, nature of the material that poured into them
0: that's basically what we were talking about right this whole thing that he's saying here is is what you think of when someone brings up the library of alexandria as a what is the word totem mm-hmm.
2: oh i like that yeah.
0: yeah um it it makes you immediately think of ah oh, people burning knowledge people taking knowledge away from the public and no matter what the Basis that we know the actual library to have been, that's what it is symbolically. But here's a little epilogue um, there is a new library of Alexandria called the Bibliotheca Alexandrina, which bills itself as a revamp or an homage of the ancient library. It is a joint venture between the founding director, Ismail Sara Galdin, UNESCO, United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, and Alexandria University. It's an 11-story circular building, and the writer I used as a source said it looked like a tilted block of cheese. <laughs> so naturally, it's designed by a Scandinavian architect, because <laughs> they love their tilted blocks of cheese. <laughs> It is 80,000 square meters with enough shelves to hold 8 million volumes of books. There's a main reading room, a specialized rare book section, art galleries, conference center, planetarium, science museum, antiques museum, and then of course a tribute to a former Egyptian president because you can't have a state library without some homage to the state. (laughs) Well, um, Chris, thanks. This has been really fun.
2: Yay! It's been very fun for me too. I always love coming and seeing you guys and Chatting about all manner of
0: historical books. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have anything that you want to plug or shout out? Um one thing I say, this isn't a personal
2: plug. This is a uh you know, a plea for uh, a lot of librarians and library staffers um in different parts of our country. Um support them. Uh, they work hard. Uh, to support you and your community, um, they are professionals. Um, their interest is to provide information to everybody. So folks like Moms for Liberty, you can suck it.
0: Yeah. Suck um.
2: It. And uh, drag queen story times are amazing. Mm-hmm. But the point I'm getting at is that uh, libraries are under attack right now. And an attack against an attack against a library, an attack against um, uh, freely accessible information damages us all irrevocably. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my plug for today. Support your library, support your library workers,, um, and continue to fight for uh, information access.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, the the core of this understanding of knowledge being, under attack and obliterated for political reasons is despite the nuances is true and is a thing that happens and it's happening right now so Uh so yes support your libraries and speak out against people who are uh calling for destruction of them essentially literally like literally being gutted (laughs) right now um in different places in the country I think you and I are lucky enough to live in places where that isn't quite as bad knocking on wood uh, Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) but um it it, it is something to be hyper aware of not just aware of right now so thanks for tying that together for us Chris
2: yeah what I'm here for
0: (laughs) yeah you can find hybrid pub scout on twitter at hybrid pub scout on instagram at hybrid pub scout pod And on our website, hybridpubscout.com, please leave us a nice review and a rating, um, a five-star rating, please. And thanks for giving a rip about books.